One focus, one subject. Welcome to The Real Story, the podcast that brings together global experts to explain one issue shaping the news. BBC World Service podcasts are supported by advertising. This is The Real Story on the BBC World Service with me, Ruth Alexander. It started on the roundabouts. Drivers dug out their regulation high-vis jackets, their gilets jaunes from their cars and vans, and stood in protest at the French government's green fuel tax rise. So far, so normal. Protest is part of the French political DNA, after all. But before long, cars were burning on the boulevards of Paris. The police were battling thousands of demonstrators. Hundreds were arrested, scores injured, four killed. The high-vis jacket had become not just an emblem of protest, it's now a movement. The fuel protest had sparked flames of anger about so much more, about living standards, about tax cuts for the rich, about the president himself. It wasn't long before Emmanuel Macron was backing down. Je n'oublie pas qu'il y a une colère, une indignation. Et cette indignation... I haven't forgotten that there is anger, indignation, and that a lot of us, a lot of French people, share this anger. And I don't want to reduce this to the unacceptable behaviours that I have already denounced. At first, it was an anger against attacks, and the Prime Minister responded by cancelling and removing all rises planned for the start of the new year. But this anger is deeper. I feel it's fair in many ways, and it could be our chance. It comes from far away, but it's here now. Without a doubt, we have not known for the last year and a half how to respond sufficiently rapidly or strongly. I am partly responsible for this. I may have given you the impression that I didn't care, that I had other priorities. I know that I may have upset some of you with my words. Tonight, I want to be very clear with you. If I have fought to disrupt the political system as it was, the habits, the hypocrisies, it's precisely because I believe more than anything in the country that I love. President Macron came to power a little over 18 months ago, almost out of the blue, an anti-establishment candidate who'd founded his own movement on Marche on the move, promising to be different, that he understood widespread disillusionment with the establishment. But his programme of reforms are proving deeply unpopular, and that disillusionment is now firmly aimed at him. So today we're asking, what's the matter with Macron? Joining me to discuss this are Alain Richard, a senator with President Macron's party, La République en Marche. He's in the BBC's Paris studio. David Guiraud, youth spokesman for the left-wing populist party France Insoumise, France Unbowed, he's on the line. And journalist Christine O'Krent is also in our Paris studio. And Bruno Cortes, a researcher at the academic institute Sciences Po, is in the French capital too. Now, France has a long tradition of political protest. Blockades are a fairly familiar sight. What makes this different? Alain Richard... Well, basically because people were starting from the grassroots, from the provinces, and decided to uh, gather on the roundabouts 
in the roads and, and streets of large and, and middle uh, towns. And they wanted to show that their level of wages and the taxes they had to bear were unbearable in their view. They were not extremely numerous. One can imagine that in total, maybe four, five hundred thousand people moved one, one way or another. But the impression of overall presence was very strong. And their um, words, their protests were, were shared by quite a, a large proportion of opinion. And David Giraud, have you been taken aback? Yeah, yeah, I've participated in some some of these demonstrations, and what I've seen is that it's it's a, indeed it's a grassroots movement, but there's a lot of people I never seen before. This is not a movement and social protest with only activist people. You know, it's about people who are like nearly 50 years old, and I've seen some of them that were so disparate that I've seen them building barricades and. And people also started moving in the rich areas in Paris because I think they understood that it's a conflict between rich people and poor people. That's the main reason of this struggle. It's not only about a tax. I don't think so. I think it's about social justice and the end of privilege. And and the tax cuts to the rich is also a big problem for them because they feel it's unfair and if you look closely at French history, I'll just finish on this, but if you if you take a look on French history, all our biggest movements, all our biggest social protests were about this, about the privilege to the rich and the poor people that can't afford paying anything more taxes. Well, Christine O'Krent, does this feel to you different to what's gone before? Yes, I, I think it does. For two technological reasons. One is, of course, uh, the social media. It's obvious that Facebook has played a major role, the more so as uh, its algorithms now privilege uh, neighborhood uh, contact, neighborhood information. And I think that uh, it has played a role uh, which we had never uh, witnessed before, if only because there was really no Facebook before. But it's so much and, easier and the, for people to connect. Mm. Yeah, and the, the other um, dimension, I think, is um, all news TV, because that also uh, stressed uh, particularly the violence. Uh, and uh, it swelled, in a way, uh, the the contest uh, very early on because, uh, of course, these channels did their job to a point, but also uh, they did see their interest in uh, in carrying uh, these images, uh, you know, 24 hours, I mean, 24-7. So I, I think, uh, again, I think both... Uh, our friends are right about the the roots of uh, these demonstrations. As Alain pointed out, uh, we do have a a tradition of mass demonstrations, and in in many ways, these, in terms of numbers, were in no way the most important that we can remember. Well, let me just turn to Bruno. What what was new is the violence and and, and the mixed bag of people, at least... You know, people who went to Paris and took to the 
the rich areas of uh, the capital city. And uh, Bruno Cortres, um, do you agree with that? Is it the 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 violence, perhaps the strength of feeling, that makes this feel different? Uh, yes, certainly the level of violence have been uh, spectacular. Uh, most observers say that we have never seen that uh, since May '68. Uh, when you look the student protests. The, oh yes, when you look to the material and physical damages, they are extremely impressive. Uh, hundreds of people have been wounded. Some people lost their lives in that uh, dramatic series of weekends that we have seen. So yes, the most spectacular aspect is probably the the images of violence. And Christine is absolutely right by saying that. Uh, we are living in a new context, in a new political context, where the whole information TV channels are a political actor. They play, they are, they are part of the game, and everyone play with these actors. Well, so, yes, clearly, it has been a very, very interesting and very important aspect of the, of the dynamics of the movement. We're going to delve deeper into the dynamics of, of the movement. Let's start with the basics, um, who the Gilets Jaunes are. Now, um, Christine, you mentioned Facebook. Um, the, the, the group really uh, gathered strength and numbers there. So is it predominantly young people doing the protesting? No, what was interesting uh, in the provinces primarily uh, it's on the contrary, uh, middle-aged people, many, many women uh, who in, in many cases uh, are the most worst off um, and who also uh, found a way to break with their loneliness. Uh, and that has played, I think, a, a emotionally a very important part as well. You know, day after day, the, these people would get together and they would there talk about their problems and discover that they were not alone in living through difficult circumstances. And I think what has to be stressed is that, uh, as far as we know, these were not the poorest of the poor in France. Mm. The poorest of the poor, we do have a, a social system, which is certainly not perfect, but which does take care of, you know, basic needs. These were the sort of uh, people who, who are afraid of becoming poorer. So sociologically, it's not the same strata of people. And, uh, and but again, it was a very mixed bag. And I think that we should not uh, consider that uh, those people who were in good faith uh, on the roads and, uh, you know, in those circles uh, were necessarily the same as, as the one who came uh, in Paris uh, to, to break and to loot. Well, I was just going to ask Bruno uh, Saturday after Saturday. I was just going to ask uh, Bruno, um, you know, the, the the pictures of the riots in Paris made headlines all around the world. Um, but as Christine was saying, actually many protesters have been standing on roundabouts at toll booths um, away from the centre. Is this is this uh, a truly national protest that's been taking place? Uh, it's difficult to say right now because we are lacking some... Uh, 
empirical evidences. Some people, some sociologists went on the field to observe who are these people, where do they come from, and uh, there was some different places. Obviously, you have some places where people have been much more mobilized, but you cannot summarize that to the periphery of France. Uh, it was in the roundabouts, obviously, but also in uh, semi-rural and uh, semi-urban places. But broadly speaking, I would say that the overall portrait of the, of the Yellow Vest are people mature, people with low middle class uh, levels, and people who doesn't feel well in the France that Emmanuel Macron wants to see. So what, what are their main grievances? David Guerreau, um, what is it that these people are saying is wrong with their lives, that they, that, that they are unhappy with about this government's direction? Well, I think that uh, I've already said it before, but it's about social justice and the end of privilege. But you know, I'm I'm a political activist, so my 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 concern is about telling what does it mean. And w someone talked about the high presence of women in those uh, demonstrations, and for me, that means something. And it's also, I think, a big warning for the government because. For a lot of these women, life is about the, the everyday life is about surviving. It's not about living; it's about surviving. And when you start going into the points and going into the t streets uh, 24/7 to say that you disagree, it means that you have understood that if you want to survive, you have to protest, and that's I, I something think, very strong. I think many people listening would actually be surprised to hear you talk about daily life in France mm -hmm. in this way because France is seen as actually by many a very attractive country a place many people would like to live um, the OECD uh, group of some of the world's richest nations puts France firmly in the middle in terms of average wages just ahead of the UK just behind uh, Germany what is um, mm. Why are people yes. feeling so squeezed? I, I can tell you that um, when you're living in uh, um, small villages, you see the public services going away. You see, I mean, like recently, some weeks ago, you, uh, there's a, a maternity that had to close in a, a small town in France. Uh, I can say that's my personal experience. You know that uh, when my grandmother had to go to the hospital recently, like maybe one year ago, and... In that hospital, there was not even a chair where I could sit on to be close to her, you know. That, that, that's something you can see. That's something you can, um, you can experience in your very own uh, everyday life. And when you are broke, when you have to take the car to go far and far and far on every day, you have to go a, a little bit more far to, go, to bring your, your kids to school because the school, the, the, the nearest school has closed, so you have to bring them to another school or, or to just have some pleasures, you know, like going to the cinema or, or, or going to the swimming pool. And you get every day you have to, to go far on, on more far, and someone is giving you higher taxes uh, on, on, on the gasoline. That's something you experience directly, and this is why people are, are protesting. Of course, we have. Uh, we are uh, a great country, but there is 10 million poor people in our country too, and we, we shall not forget that. 
Alain Richard, you're a senator in the President's Party. Do you recognise this description of, of the country, um, rural and suburban areas which lack amenities, yes. people struggling with tax rises? I recognise it as political oriented, of course, because the level of minimum wages in France is rather over the uh, European average, as you know. And our tax system uh, includes, of course, a significant part on income tax, which is very progressive, which is fairly heavy on uh, higher uh, wage earners. So, of course, some of our citizens are feeling uh, poor uh, incomes and and some uh, unsatisfied needs. Uh, But what is striking is that the center, I would say, of the people protesting, taking active part in the protests, was rather people just over the minimum wages and not at all people uh, living on the on a basic social benefit, I mean, what we call RSA. We d- they didn't show up in the protest, whereas their income is just half the, the minimum wages. And uh, there was a component for uh, of, of in, uh, dissatisfaction be- because of people having to drive a certain distance from uh, from the home to their work, to their job. Uh, what happened was that the the basic price of uh, fuels of of um, gasoline increased because of the uh, world prices, not specially because of the taxes, uh, which went only a few um, cents over. And that was the the origin of the protest. But then uh, some many, many more issues were, um, you know, associated with the the basic protest. Uh, And uh, they became more and more political. Bruno Cortes, very briefly, could you just summarise for us um, how this has gone from um, an issue about fuel tax to more than that. Can you just very briefly summarise the the uh, demands people are making? It's true that the beginnings was about fuel tax. Okay, but uh, maybe that uh, already in the beginnings, it was maybe not only that. Maybe that the fuel tax was the things that make uh, the um, the explosion. But before the explosion, you have something before, obviously. So it could be that, including at the very beginnings, uh, the fuel tax was only uh, one facet of a broader phenomenon that was about the cost of living, maybe more than social justice in the beginning, but the cost of living. And then later on, progressively, uh, the political message of the, of the Yellow Vest went broader, bigger, uh, indeed, on social justice, fiscal justice, inequalities. It could be that also the beginning of the story was even before, long time before, when Emmanuel Macron wrote the book Revolution, which is the title of the program book of Emmanuel Macron. When you write a book, the title of which is Revolution, you may eventually generate big expectations. And you know that when you pronounce the word revolution, you have different meanings, different interpretations. And people have seen the revolution, maybe not yet, and maybe not for them. Uh, What is fascinating in in all the story, and it is for other countries that France would be exactly the same, which is the, the, the difficulty for 
the executives, the governing people on today to pronounce words that are macroeconomic, macroeconomic reasonings, but when it applied to individuals, individuals have not the the same feeling. It just doesn't make sense in, in, in people's own lives. So, yes, so maybe the economy is growing and indeed the French economy yes, is growing, but it doesn't feel like that in my reality. It's, it's a democratic gap, which is the vocabulary, the issues, the questions, the topics that the executive are talking about are not the same as the ordinary citizen. Christine, to what extent do you think all this is about more than the the fine details of economic policy? I mean, some say it, really this is a demand to be heard um, by the people. They, they want to be heard by political classes who are seen as out of touch. Yes, what, what is actually remarkable is that Emmanuel Macron was elected uh, by forging a movement exactly on the same principles. Let's get rid of the traditional system. Let's get rid of those political parties uh, which we have seen at work for so long and which have never been able, whoever was in charge, you know, the left, the conservative, never been able to make the necessary reforms uh, for the country. Uh, and so that was the En Marche movement, and that's how Macron was elected. And the paradox is actually the Gilets Jaunes, it's almost a parallel. They said, we don't want to hear about politicians. We don't want to hear about the intermediaries. We don't want to hear about parliament. We don't want to hear about trade unions. We want to have a direct connection to the guy at the very top. And so it's, it's, uh, it's quite amazing that, uh, again, I think it, it has very much to do with the way people uh, uh, react now with, you know, with all the equipment they have. That, first of all, they expect results to happen within the day. I mean, the idea that especially uh, economic measures might take some time that is beyond understanding. And also, it has to be stressed that, unfortunately, the, the level of economic education in France is, is particularly poor. I mean, you know, there, there are very few people, and if, even if I may say so in presence of a senator, <laughs> and I'm not saying it's his case, but many politicians don't have a clue either. And just to remind you, you're listening to a podcast edition of The Real Story from the BBC World Service. This week, looking at the Gilets Jaunes protests in France. Each week, we tackle a different topic and you can download the programme every Friday. I encourage you to subscribe so you won't ever miss an edition. And there are also many other BBC World Service podcasts to choose from. You could try Witness, our history series told by the people who were there. And do please let us know what you think of this podcast from The Real Story or any ideas you have for topics you'd like us to look into. You can email us at therealstory at bbc.co.uk. But now, let's get back to this edition of The Real Story with me, Ruth Alexander, looking at the Gilets jaunes in France. And my guests, Alain Richard, a senator in President Macron's party, La République en Marche, David Guiraud, youth spokesman for the left-wing populist party, France Insoumise, or France Unbowed. The journalist Christine O'Krent joins us, as does Bruno Cortrez, a researcher at the academic institute Sciences Po. 
Now, earlier in the programme, we established how the Gilets Jaunes movement has grown rapidly from a bunch of fuel protesters into a thousand-strong movement challenging the French president's economic reform plans, a movement that, if the polls are right, more than half the country supports. Coming up, we'll be discussing whether President Macron has what it takes to manage this crisis and what it all means for France. But first... The Gilets jaunes have no leaders as such, but Jacqueline Moreau, a hypnotherapist from Brittany in northwestern France, came to prominence early on when she posted a video on social media saying that the fuel protesters were being hunted. She's been talking to the real story and began by giving her views on the violence. Alors évidemment, je ne peux pas être contente de la violence que ça a produit. Of course I'm not happy about the violence the movement has produced. I deplore all the vandalism that we've seen in Paris. It makes me feel sick because I'm someone who loves French heritage. Regardless, this movement is a terrific human adventure and we are helping to create a major change in French society which will have historical impact. I don't think you can say that this movement has become a monster. The monster grew or the movement grew bigger because the government simply didn't respond and that concentrated people's anger. When you don't get a response to your anger, that produces hate. And when you don't get a response to the hate you feel, that produces violence. So, unfortunately, the delayed response from the government has produced all this. Today, there's only one solution for this government, and that is to listen to the people. Listen and respond in a meaningful way to all these troubles. Abroad, I imagine that people see France as a wonderful country. And it is a wonderful country. But unfortunately, we've had bad governments for decades. It's not just Mr Macron. The problem now is that it's up to Mr Macron to respond, as he's the person in charge. And he needs to change the direction of his green politics and he needs to soften his hardline position on the transition away from fossil fuels. And he needs to put something together that works for the French people. Look, the way he's handled the Yellow Vest movement, it's just awful. The movement wasn't taken seriously at all in the beginning. Everyone saw it as a bit of a joke. People were asking, what are they actually going to stop? What can they achieve? And now... Just one month later, and look at the development there's been in French politics, in the way the politicians approach the movement today, we have radically changed. Today, there are members of parliament who hold meetings with ordinary people, MPs, ministers, town halls are open all the time. French politics is changing all around. As far as the demands of the Yellow Vests are concerned, you have to understand that inside the movement, there are several smaller sub-movements. I belong to the moderate wing. And what we want is a dialogue with the government in order to find a solution. Then we also have a more radical wing. They want political upheaval. They want to shatter our democracy, our republic. They're much more hardline. I don't support them because I don't want us to end up bringing down a president. That would be appalling. But the reason that we've ended up with these kind of demands is because the government just wasn't engaging in any kind of dialogue with us at all. How France needs to change now, that's a big question. Right now, the government has opened up a big national debate that the Yellow Vest movement is taking part in. You could easily imagine that the distribution of MPs in the National Assembly could be done differently by allowing a part of the Assembly to be reserved for ordinary citizens. They would be elected and take it in turn to sit there and be replaced at regular intervals. I think that would really appease French voters. Because at the moment, there's a feeling down below that we are not really represented by anyone. French people just don't trust the political classes. En fait, les Français n'ont plus confiance du tout envers leur classe politique.
That was uh, Jacqueline Moreau, uh, one of the Gilets Jaunes or Yellow Vest protesters. Alain Richard, as a, as a senator, uh, do you agree, Jacqueline says, that the Yellow Vest movement is changing French politics? Have they achieved that? Yes, I agree. Uh, they have shown a capacity of demands that oblige us to go in dialogue much more deeply than we used to, uh, as we did in other tension periods. And the, the government and the president have chosen to organize a sort of what they call a grand debate for the next three months so that so many people can express themselves and make more, more global demands so that there can be then a number of, of political measures. I mean, the, the president has um, said that he will call a halt to some of his tax rises. He will completely cancel the fuel tax rise. That's it's one of the issues, of course, because climate change is still a debate. It's still a necessity. So, And yet he's had to bow to these protests. I mean, it, it, they're huge, the concessions he's had to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this a humiliation for the president? It's at least a shock uh, for him and the first shock of the of this nature since he was elected because of course he has uh, smaller uh, he has a more limited political experience before but what what is striking is that step by step some of these spokespersons of this movement and madame uh, Mo is not among them are putting more and more demands more and more elements of protest, putting into question the constitution, for instance. Whereas, of course, if we go to a poll, I'm convinced that most people would rather keep the constitution as it is. And one of the issues is whether Macron can go on in the policy he has adopted and which was uh, accepted by the voters, by the citizens, which he, is innovation, pro-business he, policy. He, he's facing a uh, political crisis, isn't he? As Christine says, some protesters want to shatter democracy. This is a, a crisis for France, not just its president. But let's um, talk a bit more about the president, um, who he is, where he's come from, whether he has the skills to manage this crisis. You mentioned he has limited political experience. Christina Krent, can you just remind us briefly of his backstory? He's a very had had a very impressive and, and rapid ascent. Started as, as an investment banker. No, um, no, 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 no. That's the caricature. I mean, he was indeed in investment banking for I think what not even two years. years. No, he he's the perfect product of our education system when it comes to the highest intellectual and public service criteria. That is to say, uh, he's uh, extremely well-read, high culture. Uh, His speeches so far have been quite remarkable in that sense. But he's not a traditional politician, which, of course, was part of his attractiveness. Uh, You know, he didn't start getting elected uh, as a a small village mayor. He didn't start uh, as an MP. Actually, he was never elected until he became president. And again, that was part of the novelty that the French bought at the time. And so the fact is that uh, surrounded as he has been by people like him, having gone through the same kind of training, quite away from basic politics, you know, very young guys, huge IQs, knowing a lot of stuff, but 
having probably never set their feet in uh, in the provinces. I mean, I, of course, it's a caricature, but I think there's a dimension there which has very much come through the protest, and it's also a, a reflection on the way France has been organized, and it's not new. You know, it's a highly centralized country, much more uh, so than than the UK. It's a, it's a system where what we call the techno structure is very powerful, and so I think that also has been uh, put into question in the protest of the past month. He came to power with a reformer's zeal, which is is very interesting. He'd been appointed as a government advisor and then was minister for the economy under President Hollande, his predecessor. Then he he dropped out of government, started his own grassroots movement, as you said, so ironic, really. Now he's challenged by another one. But he he came in portraying himself as an outsider, a, a, a breath of fresh air. What did he think was wrong with France? Bruno Cortres... Very, very difficult to make a short answer to such a big question. I think that France is not an exception. All over Europe, we could see that since about 20, 30 years, uh, the socio-economics, socio-economic theory and socio-political perturbations coming from the global economy. We are just living in a period of time that probably the historian in about one or two centuries will say it was there. We are living in a period of big transformation and the big transformation that we are living in have many consequences on the economic organization, but also on the party system, on the political system, on the political issues, on the political cleavages. And the election of Macron was also the product of that. Ironically, indeed, uh, the same logics that raise Emmanuel Macron to the power have been uh, very negative to him right now. Uh, David Giraud, you're with the left-wing populist party France uh, Insoumise. What do you think is wrong with France? I find this discussion very funny because uh, there was people talking about the refreshing, uh, refreshing Emmanuel Macron with the new political program, but. The last time I came into your channel, to BBC's channel, I said that Macron is a young body with a very old political program and either someone here to find a new proposition, a new political proposition during the presidential election. There's nothing. It's always the same the same political proposition and the same program. He has been Minister of Economy and the only policy he had until today is about helping the rich people, thinking that the rich people will help to organize and to uh, will help and donate to the poor people, which is obviously not true. Look, well, I'm giving you just an example. Alain, uh, I want to turn to Alain uh, Richard, because um, President Macron would see it differently, wouldn't he? He is uh, saying that his tax cuts for that the richest benefit from are to encourage money to stay in France, to encourage jobs to be created. Well, it's basically about investment. This country has a competitiveness problem, a problem of acquiring more innovation in its production. If you want to overcome this basic problem, you need investors. So this wealth tax represents, I remember having to support him, support it in Parliament 30 years ago, but the actual result is that it's a poor revenue in terms of tax income 
and it's uh, discouraging quite a number of investors. So it was a, a bet by Macron saying, of course, I'll be criticized on this because, as he says, France has also sad passions, one of them being looking always to the condition of the neighbor. But he decided that it was better to drop this tax and expect for investors to come back. This is already happening, but of course, you don't see the result of such a policy in, in a few months. Excuse so me, uh, it will be criticized, of course, <clears throat> but uh, no one can really claim that introducing this tax would improve anything in the condition of poor people in France. Uh, David Guerrero, yeah. you want to come back in? Yeah, 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 because, th- th- sorry, it might be a bit rude, but I think that's a huge lie, because in our country, we, we just gave 40 billion euros to the biggest companies. How many jobs have been created ever since? It's like maybe the research are saying 100,000 to 200,000. So that's 40 billion euros that vanished into the biggest companies with nothing in return. We're talking about investment. Why did the government decide to end the ESF, which is a tax for the very richest people? That was a, a, a tax on in, um, investments, yeah. shares yeah. and dividends. That was only for the richest people, and it's about the, the salary on, on patrimoine. And why did we install the flat tax, which is a flat benefit for the richest people of this country? This has nothing to, to do with uh, investment in our, in our industry, in our companies. And I'd like to say that if there is some companies that need uh, a lot of money to give as a dividends. Uh, we don't need them. We can fire them out and we have the power to do this. And this is exactly why I think the Gilets Jaunes are trying to say they just want to take the power back because they have for many years and for decades uh, there was a lot of demonstrations and nothing was really happening. And this is now the message that the, the, the protest is sending is that it became serious. Uh, Bruno Cortres, when Emmanuel Macron ran for president, the country was divided. The far-right leader Marine Le Pen did very well in the first round of the presidential election. Uh, we're now 18 months into his presidency. That distrust of the old politics seems to be stronger than ever. Did President Macron underestimate the problems he was trying to tackle? Broadly speaking, on today, I would say yes. It's always very easy to say these kind of things after a series of mistakes. But there is a series of mistakes that Emmanuel Macron did. Uh, We were talking about the special tax on the very rich. It's not actually an economic issue, because when you look to how much is the revenue of such a tax, it's not so much, actually. But it's mostly a symbol Jacques Chirac, when he was French president, did exactly the same mistake by suppressing the equivalent tax in the end of the 80s and having exactly the same backlash right after. It's a question of symbols. You can hardly explain to an ordinary citizen that he needs to make sacrifice when at the same time the very rich have something that they do not have. So it's not an economic question, it's not an objective thing, it is mostly subjective and clearly we know that it was an error to do it, at least to do it immediately in the beginnings of Emmanuel Macron mandate. So the other thing was clearly mistakes in communication of Emmanuel Macron. The beginnings of the story of Emmanuel Macron was like a success story, a young guy, amazingly 
clever, with a big talent, make uh, an extraordinary thing, which is winning the, uh, the seat number one in creating a political movement a year before. So the beginnings is a, an amazing success story, but probably the weak point was that Emmanuel Macron have not been elected before, so probably he misunderestimated the complexity of France, the way that the different people can react to the economic decisions. So yes, there, there is clearly a series of, of errors, and particularly in the beginnings of the crisis. I just want to remember that after the first Saturday of demonstration, the prime minister went on TV a few hours later by saying, I would be very sharp, very strict, I'm not going to modify anything. And immediately after, the demonstration went more important and more violent. You talk about his, his youth. He's just turned 41. It is an incredibly young age for a president. He's never held elected office before. Christine O'Cran, do you think he has the political skills, the experience to turn this situation around? Well, uh, uh, he's certainly learning whilst being burnt. And so, indeed, we should all hope, including those who oppose his policies, that, indeed, he find ways to stabilise the country, to bring all those who honestly asked for improvement in their daily lives, that he, that the measures that he announced uh, last week be put in place as quickly as possible. But I think he really has to decide whom he should rely on. And I guess, I hope, that one of the lessons uh, he certainly has learned is that he needs people with more political experience than uh, the ones that have been uh, advising him so far. Alain Richard, one of the issues President Macron has is that your party has very few local mayors. That's a lack of intelligence on the ground, isn't it? Perhaps the protesters are right that he's out of touch. Well, maybe he has no, not so many mayors, of course, because they were elected because uh, before his movement was created. Uh, he has a lot of uh, MPs who also have some roots and have uh, long contacts and, and discussions with uh, all people at the base. But what, what is significant is that most of the mayors are members of the two moderate opposition parties, the Republicans on the right and the Socialists on the left. And those parties are especially troubled by the present situation because they know, they have been in, in office and they know what are the contradictions you have to overcome. So the real oppositions are the far left and the far right. And no one is willing, including the protesters, no one is willing to give them the power to send them to office. Is so, this, could this be... Um, there, the way there, he's handling there, this situation, um, going to could, be. could this be a gift for Marine Le Pen, the far-right leader who uh, did, did well in, in the previous presidential election, the first round at least? Yes, and, and to be true, there is, a certain, there is a certain convergence between the places where the uh, yellow jackets are more present and more active and the traditional areas of vote for Le Pen. But even if Madame Le Pen receives more votes in a first ballot, when people have to decide who is going to rule the country, anyone opposed to her will always win.
Christine O'Krent, um, do you think Marine Le Pen could make hay out of th- this political crisis? Oh, she, she already does. And it's quite obvious that the, the more politicized the movement became, and it was quite obvious the last on the, the last Saturday of demonstrations, uh, where suddenly you, you would have formulas, you would have kind of language which was quite different from the very beginning. The kind of language coming either from the far left or particularly from the far right. And, of course, with the European elections coming up uh, next May, of course, for her, it's a huge bonus. That being said, it's quite remarkable that, again, when you listen to the Gilets Jaunes, they don't want to hear about uh, Madame Le Pen, at least uh, openly, and they don't want to hear about any political party. No political party has really made any benefit, and particularly the traditional political parties, uh, be they conservative or socialist. Uh, David Giraud, um we've heard it said that it'll be the far left or the far right which will benefit from this situation. What do you think? I think that uh, people are not stupid and they know um, that's also our task and our mission to do this. But Marine Le Pen, she's against increasing the minimum wages. She's against giving more democracy in our country. She's a a defender of the Fifth Republic system. And that's something that the Gilets Jaunes are also fighting for. Some of them want to change it in a more democratic way and some other ones want to completely overthrow that political system. So I'm not scared about that. I'm not scared and, and I feel comfortable with the what the Gilets Jaunes said they wanted about minimum wages increasing, more public services and stuff. This is, well, you'll I no feel doubt, comfortable with this. But you'll no doubt be a, hoping to uh, attract new supporters to, to your party. But, um, Bruno Cortez. I'd just like to, just because we talk about, I haven't spoke about the, the political skills of uh, Emmanuel Macron and I think it's it's a part of the answer to it's not about the political skills or it's not about himself but it's about the fact that he's deciding all alone I take one one or two examples for the army one high graded general uh, left his missions at the at the early at the early of the the Macron's uh, presidency for the police we had someone called Alexandre Benalla that was doing some task replacing the police for the officials he's reducing the public services we've been talking about the mayor He's forcing the mayors to have financial cuts. That's the main problem, and that's also what the Gilets Jaunes are saying. It's that you can't control 60 million people alone. That's not possible. You have to um, have you have to renew the democracy. And I think for this, as a political activist, that it cannot be possible in the Fifth Republic, and that we have to change the system. The whole system has to be changed. And it's not possible to have only one president deciding for everyone. And Macron is just the apotheosis of this system. He has not created it, of course, and it's not him, only him, but he's the apotheosis of this. And if we don't find a way, and if we we have no one to say that, to propose something else, uh, that's indeed Marine Le Pen that can win. But hopefully uh, we are here and we we are fighting to show that there's another way in our country, that's for sure. Uh, Bruno Cortres, do you believe that more and more people are being pushed to the political extremes? It's true that when you look to the political consequences of the crisis, it's a bit worrying. 
it's true that uh, Marine Le Pen and the Rassemblement National are, objectively speaking, uh, the big winner of the sequence for the moment. I, I know that uh, the Gilets Jaunes, at the moment, they don't want to have any political connection. But objectively speaking, the signs are going in uh, rather la, le Rassemblement National. The Marine Le Pen's far-right party. Yes, and the, and the voting intentions for the next uh, European election are showing that the Rassemblement National would win if the election would be today. There is not a general tendency to radicalization in France anyway. But what is worrying is the state of the opposition in France. The opposition is too weak, too divided. It's not good for uh, electoral and representative democracy to have extremely weak opposition. And it could be also that secretly it is part of the explanation that it could be that also the ordinary citizen don't see that the opposition can be their voice. So people are going to get habituated maybe to claim outside the partisan system. And progressively, it's something that we see all over Europe also, that the old mainstream political parties are less and less the recipients of the voice of the, of the ordinary citizen. So there is a major, absolutely major issue on that for the next decade in Europe and at, at, in any countries. Thank you. And we have to end there. That is The Real Story this week. My thanks to all our guests, Bruno Cortres, Christine O'Krent, Alain Richard and David Giraud. If you'd like to listen to the programme again or any other from the archive, you can listen back online by searching for BBC The Real Story. And you can make sure you never miss another edition by subscribing to our podcast. Find us by searching for The Real Story in your podcast app. From me, Ruth Alexander and the team. That is The Real Story. Thanks for listening.